0: Well, one of the things we have been doing, um, I guess for about a year now, two semesters in the spring and then in the fall, we have been uh, breaking up into, uh, into little electives that we might, might learn better and you would have opportunities to learn uh, different folks, different topics, um, and uh, then in the summer, we come all back together uh, while we have a special children's program, and we, we sing, and uh, we, we cover a, a series or, or a topic. Um, I think the last time we did this, we, we were working through the, the, the book of Revelation, and tonight we're going to start our summer series. I think it's going to be very helpful uh, to you, at least that's what we prayed about, and we, we talked about uh, what topic uh, would, be, would be good for, for me uh, to address and um, I think it's going to be helpful in particular because of just the barrage of cultural issues that, that you have to navigate and that I have to, to navigate. And um, it comes at you with, uh, with, with full force, no matter uh, whether you, you go to eat at Chipotle and you see uh, that it's Pride Month there with all the rainbow or you turn on the, the, the TV And you see all manners of other types of sexual perversions um, uh, presented. And every generation has to deal with things their parents and their grandparents didn't. Um, The world is rolling downhill ever faster uh, toward its end. And and in one sense, the Bible tells us that none of the things that, that we experience or our parents experienced or whoever comes after us will experience if the Lord tarries, in one sense, none of those things should surprise us, because there is nothing new under the, the, the sun, and none of these things surely took God by, by surprise. I think that's what Jesus suggests in Matthew, Matthew twenty four, when he asks his or when his disciples ask him, When is the second coming and what uh, will be the sign uh, of your coming? You remember in the Passion Week? Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives after teaching in the, uh, in, in the Temple Mount. And it's just him and his disciples. And, and they want to know, when is the end coming? How will we know that the end is coming? When are you going to, to come back? And Jesus answers and, and he says to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but it is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and... and uh, got ahead of you here. There will be famines and... Um, And earthquakes and all of these things are merely the beginning of the birth pangs. So what Jesus is saying there in the Olivet Discourse is that everything is going to continue just as it has since the fall. And that's what he's saying. I don't think I know. I mean, he says there will be false prophets. There will continually be false prophets that will come up in the world there will be massive amounts of error in people following that, that error. There, there will be wars. There will continually be wars that, that will take place. Global trouble, food shortage, catastrophes, and those things are not the end. Don't think just because you see those things happening that, that the end is here. That's what living outside of the garden looks like. That's what living in a cursed world looks like. That's normal It's not what God designed or desired, but it's normal, and I think that's his point. And so, as we look at our world today, we we shouldn't think we have it much worse than everyone else before. It's a product of fallen life. However, in another sense, there is a compounding effect of sin. And and its uh, putrefaction on society and cultures and and as Romans thirteen tells us the the laws and the things that are there don't save but they're there to restrain the flesh and as those things move the flesh is less and less restrained and so it it manifests in in greater ways and so then you can go to First Timothy four one but the Spirit explicitly says in the The latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits, doctrines of demons, a means of hypocrisy, uh, liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe in Him. For everything created by God is good, And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, For if it is sanctified by the means of the word of God in prayer. In pointing out these things to the brethren, that's you, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. So when you put those two things together, you get the right perspective. You should not be surprised by the wickedness of man or his fallen works or somehow wring your hands and think that God has fallen off of the throne or it's the end, but we are to point out the error. We are to sustain ourselves on the scriptures and and what they teach. We're to be nourished as, as believers on the words of faith and sound doctrine, and that's what we're going to do over the summer. Um as that is specifically related to creation and, and culture. And, and we're going to do that in, in two parts. First, we're going to lay a foundation. So we're going to go back to Genesis chapters 1, 2, and, and 3. And we're going to see what the Bible teaches about the world and mankind and how that sets the guideposts for all of, of life. And then in the second half of our summer series, we're going to apply that to some very thorny cultural issues, uh, issues uh, s- uh, that relate to gender and, and other perversions like homosexuality and, and more. And we're calling it applied anthropology. So creation and culture, and specifically we're going to apply that to anthropology. How does creation related to mankind in the fall, how does that work out in, in, in life? We're going to answer questions like how does being made in the image of God make a difference in life practically? I mean, You know you're, you're made in God's image, male and female. He created them I mean, in the image of God. But, but how does that guide your purpose on the, on the earth? Does that matter? Is that just a statement that Moses makes in Genesis? I mean, what does that demand then scripturally? The fact that you're image bearers. Basically, how do you image as an image-bearer. Um, that's the anthropology part. Uh, we'll study creation and man's unique part in that creation. It's the pinnacle of everything that God made. And all of creation testifies to the, to the glory of God, but, but none of creation is in the image of God or, or is the image of God like, like mankind. And he created them male and female. And he did that intentionally. It was part of the divine design. Gavin Peacock said, He designed their form and frame. He programmed their biology and physiology. Man is male and female, does not owe to an evolutionary outworking, but divine intent. To divine intent. When you look at a man you're supposed to think God designed that structure. Amazing. And when you look at a woman, you're supposed to think God's own mind created her. Incredible. And then we're going to apply that anthropology, study of man, and specifically in creation, we're going we're to apply that to life. And you're going to see how biblical roles are rooted in creation. Men and women, their unique function. Biblical distinctions are rooted there. Leading and supporting. Biblical purposes for living are all rooted in Genesis chapter 1 and, 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 and 2. Taking dominion and raising children and all of those things. And biblical, biblical sexuality is, is rooted there as well. Well, marriage versus sexual sin gender dysphoria and all of those other big words that you hear being tossed around on CNN and other places. And when we get there, you're going to see that the fall has altered life. If you want, uh, if you want more than what you're going to get on, on Sunday nights or, or if you want to just listen to something that will help you think rightly about life, I highly recommend the book of Ecclesiastes to you. We preach through it verse by verse. Uh, after preaching Ecclesiastes, I, I, I think I came to the conclusion that it is one of the most important books in the Old Testament to help you to understand what is going on and why we, we have some of the struggles. It's a commentary on, 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 uh, on Genesis 3. It's a commentary on life living outside of the garden. Um, and the fall has altered life. Ecclesiastes takes us into the throes of what it feels like to to live under a a curse. And that's where all the past and current uh, perversions come from. The fall was a reversal of everything that was good and gracious. I mean, the order was reversed in the fall. Creation, the snake, rules over the woman. Roles were reversed. The woman in turn went to lead her husband and the man became a passive follower in, instead of the initiating leader and lover and protector that he was created to be. Oh, and Strayen said, uh, the, the one uh, created to rule the serpent was thoroughly ruled by the serpent and the one created to lead the woman was led by her. John Milton Called Adam's abdication effeminate failure in full bloom. And beyond that, Adam even continues, I should say, to act like a coward whenever God calls him out. And God says, Adam, where art thou? Where are you? And Adam blames the woman, and then he blames God. The woman did it, the one that you gave me. And the result of this reversal was devastating. Owen again said, Genesis 3-7 is the fountain of all ungodly thinking regarding the body. Genesis 3-7, the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. Here is the beginning of all gender dysphoria, he said, a feeling as if our bodies do not fit our true identities. Here is the starting point of all insecurity over our imperfections and weaknesses and shapes. The fall of man unleashed a perpetually breaking wave of bodily dissatisfaction and one that has manifold and often punishing consequences for men and women. You think of just how that one verse, that one aspect of the curse has affected society and even affected the way that you think I still remember vividly the first time someone criticized a part of my, my body. Somebody told me that I had skinny legs one time, and I do, and I still remember that as a child. I can also remember a compliment that I received from one of my friends when we were playing football. It's amazing how that affects you, and here it is. This is where it's rooted. Of course, it goes far beyond skinny legs. It, goes into whether you're a man or a woman and all of those other things. You you see, the fall was was not just choosing evil over good, but a breakdown of creation's order and divine design. And so tonight and next week, we're going to introduce the creation event. Tonight, we're going to look at a, a common counterfeit the world uses to explain it away. And then we're going to look at mankind, the pinnacle of God's creation, and understand what it means to bear, bear God's image, including explaining the commands that he gives to us as image bearers. And finally, we'll look at the fall and how that's brought many perversions, such as the gender confusions and other perversions, the reversal of order in, in home and in society. And we'll also, we also have some Q&As scheduled um opportunity to answer some, some questions. So let's get started. Open your Bibles to Genesis 1, verses 1 through 5. Genesis 1, and we'll just start with the first five verses tonight. You've read this before. But think about these words and how profound they are. They, they start God's revelation to man. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good, that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day or one day. What an amazing statement, or series of statements there. And the Bible declares in the very first verse, in the beginning, God. And God created, He did something. He created the heavens and the earth. And here we have the first words of of God's revelation to man. And it describes the commencement of creation. Not the beginning of God, because He's eternal. Romans 1 tells us that the fact of creation, this revelation that comes to us through creation, teaches us some things about God. It... It teaches us that, God's exi- that God exists. I mean, creation comes from, from somewhere. It teaches us the eternality of God, that God is eternal. Someone had to exist prior to the beginning. That God is all-powerful. The, the power to create, His power, is incomprehensible. It teaches us that God as creator is the ruler over His creation. He's self-existent. He's... He's eternal. He's the omnipotent author. He's the ruler over his creation. And yet up to this point, you have eternity without time. I mean, we, I think we joked before, or talked about how the, the common definition of foreknowledge is that, that, that God in eternity passed, and there is no eternity past. Here's eternity without time, prior to Genesis 1.1. It contained God. It contained his eternal decrees, but uh, nothing but heaven, which... It was the abode of the, the Trinity. The Bible actually tells us there are three heavens, uh, 2 Corinthians uh, t- 12, 2. There's heaven where God is. There's the, the heavens where the stars are. And then there's the heavens, the sky or the atmosphere. But prior to Genesis 1, there was only one where the Lord is while recognizing He's unconfined. He's a spirit and He's omnipresent. And, and, and then the Bible says God bara, He created. And he did that um, out of nothing, without any, any prior matter. There came forth matter by his speech. It was formless and void, Genesis tells us, meaning it had no defined shape as, as we know it. It was empty. It, it was empty of, of light and life. There was a, a mass engulfed in water and blackness, the, the kind of darkness that, 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 that you have whenever you, you go into a cavern and you shut the light off. I don't know if they do that anymore, but I can remember the first time I went to Leray Caverns and they get you down in there and they tell you what's coming, but then all of a sudden they turn the lights out. And it is utter darkness. There's no light at all that, that's able to, to get in there. And it's a very uneasy feeling. But the Bible says, then in that darkness, God speaks, and He begins to order things. And He says in verse 3, let there be light, and there was light. Up to this point, the, there is light in the, in the third heaven where the, where the Lord is, because He is light, and in Him there is no darkness of all. And the Bible tells us the brightness of His glory, the brightness of, Christ is the brightness of, of God's glory, and he shines continuously. It, the brightness literally means outradiating. Was it visible light? Some people believe that this light here was God's Shekinah glory supplying radiant illumination until the sun was created on day four. We're not told that from the text. We're only told that light was created. and Now this light that's somehow confined to heaven uh, is now expanded into the created realm. And it shines on this rotating earth, the beginning time as we know it. Look at verse 5. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, day one, or one day. It's now fixed at a point. Because He divides the darkness from the light. In verse 4, and here in verse 5, He names it calling the light day, and calling the darkness night. So here you have the beginning of a 24-hour day. What a dramatic five verses. I mean, unrivaled power, unthinkable majesty, and undeniably supernatural. Do you believe that? Do you believe Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through, through 5, as it is written? If you're a Christian, you should because that's the beginning of God's revelation to you. And as we walk through the series, my my hope is that you'll grasp a clear picture of of what God reveals about His creative work and, and also to arm you with this knowledge to weed through the rejection of the biblical account because in the majority of places that you receive information about life and culture and about origins, it's no secret that it won't come from Scripture I mean, the vast majority of media and educational institutions in the scientific community believes and presents as a fact the the very weak theory of of evolution, unchallenged, I might add. I mean, it's anathema to even ask a question about it. I mean, it's presented as the origin of all things on PBS, National Geographic, Discovery Channel, Animal Planet, and, and many more. It's taught to your children in public school and private schools and even some so-called Christian institutions. It's the predominant belief of the medical and psychiatric community. It's the basis for the treatment of many illnesses, some real and some perceived. Not to mention it's the basis for political movements and and other theories about government like communism and socialism and racism and wokeism and all the other things that are out there. It's even taught in places that you would have never imagined, or at least I would have never imagined, in, in the Holy Land. I mean, one of the guides I had uh, in Israel recently stood looking over the great rift in the Hula Valley and said millions and millions of years ago this valley was, was created. It wasn't Boaz, by the way. The point is it's everywhere. And to deal with it, you must remember what you learned in the TBC new member class. You must remember that your practice, the way you live, the way that you conduct yourself, comes from what you believe. What you do comes from what you believe. And what you believe comes from an authority. And I go over that almost every single new member class. So what you believe and, and the, where you get those beliefs, the authority, it, 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 the, it's very important. And for a Christian, our authority is Scripture. And Scripture then forms our belief system. And then based upon what we believe, what we know to be true, from that authority, we, we live our lives. We, we govern ourselves. We make choices. We interpret life through the Scriptures. And where the theory of evolution is the authority and its tenets become the, the grid system through which a person thinks the correlating bad behavior follows. Things such as gross immorality and murder and many other things. You see, when you remove the concept of the eternal, self-existent judge, you remove one of those major restraints, a restraint which causes you to submit to him. And that's what Romans 1 also told us. There's a rejection of God that's revealed, that God that's revealed in creation by suppression of truth and unrighteousness. And once they go deeper into that unrighteousness, then God turns them over to their sin. And as they continue in sin, He gives them over to vile passions. And as He gives them over to vile passions, they, and which is the root of their sin, as they continue in, in that unchecked, He finally gives them over to a mind that doesn't work, a debased mind where they can't even reason. It's a scary picture. We saw it. And you can see the effect it's had on nations and even our own society. And while many people are confused and some deceived, God has very revealed very specifically the antidote in, of all of these issues in, in the Bible, and you only need to turn to the Scriptures to find them. I mean, God declares He created us and everything around us, and He did so in a very specific way. Psalm 33, 6, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of His mouth. Psalm 33, 9, For He spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Or you could go to Colossians 1, 16, For by Him, that's Christ, all things were created. And you know how that ends. All things were created by Him and for Him. And the literal account of how that happened is recorded for us in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. I think you can actually boil down the three basic views of the origin of of life or you can can boil down the views of the origin of life in, in three basic approaches. Only one of those can be found in the biblical text. I want to show you the competing view tonight. This is the the view of, of evolution. And it's, its religion is naturalism. Now, you're going to have to listen, uh, probably not just tonight. Uh, some of this is worldview background, and um, so you don't have a text to follow, um, but I think it'll make sense. Naturalism, which is the, the religion for evolution, is a view that every law and force. Operating in the universe is natural. Naturalism, it's natural. It's not moral, it's not spiritual, or supernatural. It's the basic premise that there is no such thing as a supernatural realm. And its system of origins is called evolution. You know that. It's a theory, though, that comes from the the modern era of history. I mean, not to get too sidetracked, but historians divide up the a uh, 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 more recent human existence into, into three general periods. There's the, the pre-modern era up to the Renaissance, about 1500, which where everyone accepted uh, both the natural and the supernatural realm. Uh, there were things that were natural, things that were testable, but there was also miraculous things. There were supernatural things. Then came modernism, the modern era, about 1600 to 1950, where they rejected anything supernatural. They just kind of X that part out, as MacArthur once said. This brought the so-called age of enlightenment. And now we have what's called the, the postmodern age from about 1952 to today. It's what you hear about all the time, the postmodern era. Uh, and it basically says they both failed. The pre-modern era and the modern era failed, so we don't believe that you can know anything, natural or supernatural. Truth is relative, my truth, your truth. And so you have millions spinning in this kind of truthless haze, going into the judgment like blinded buffalo about to walk off a cliff. Naturalism is the view of most teachers and scientists in the medical community. I say most because some of them are believers. They don't process that. After all, you have to follow the science, right? I mean, how many times have you heard that over the last couple years? Uh, all that other stuff is religion. What I'm talking about tonight as I read Genesis, that, that's religion. And it's got its place for the people who want to believe that. It's faith. And so leave faith to the church and science to the professionals, right? I mean, that, that's the mantra. But listen, I can confidently forcefully and truthfully say without any hesitation whatsoever that evolution is less scientific and requires more faith than all of what the Bible declares. Does that sound sound shocking to you? I mean, if so, it's because some of this competing view has crept in. Let, let Let me prove it to you. Let me prove to you that evolution is less scientific and requires more faith than what the Bible declares. What is evolution? How how would you define it? Well, you would say it's a theory used to explain where life came from. Uh, Taken from Charles Darwin's book, The Origin of Species, which was written about a century and a half ago. That belief's been added to, it's been modified over time by many proponents, but its basic teaching is given enough time, the right conditions, and random events, anything is possible. And the evolutionists would say the earth is millions and millions of years old. We're, we're a product of time and chance from earlier, lesser creatures that have been changed through a natural process and, and have evolved upward. Uh, Dr. Stephen J. Gould said, Humans arose rather as a fortuitous and contingent outcome of thousands of linked events, any one of which could have occurred differently and sent history on an alternative pathway that would not have led to consciousness. Mm, that sounds very scientific, doesn't it? But even those who, who hold to evolution that are intellectually honest still call it a theory, and that's, that's, the, right, that's the right terminology because it's never been proven. No creature has ever been found in a transitional stage and the change that has been documented simply supports the biblical record of kind after its own kind. I mean, things cannot change from one kind to another. A a dog can become a Great Dane or a poodle. That's change. But a dog can never become a cat and they've never found a a transitional cat to a dog or, or anything else. All the missing links that... That are supposed to be missing links and proven to be fakes or incorrect, and the fruitless search goes on. Evolution is less scientific and requires more faith than all of what the Bible declares. And let me give you three reasons why I say that. First of all, it's unscientific, it fails the test of falsifiability, it's unreasonable, the theory's foundation requires illogical conclusions. And number three, it's inconsistent. There's a problem that it has, the problem of morality that keeps rearing its head. And they want to have it both ways. There is no morality, but we're going to act like there is morality. Evolution is unscientific. You say, how is that possible? How can science be unscientific? It can't be proven by a scientific method which is supposed to be the reason that you must believe it, because it's provable. It's testable. In order for something to be declared scientific, a scientific fact, it has to to meet three requirements. It must be observable, it must be testable, and it must be repeatable. You learn that in science class, and evolution doesn't mean any of those. Evolution is not a purely scientific theory because it fails the requirement of falsifiability. It which is the litmus test for judging whether an investigation is scientific. One writer said this, modern scientific method is defined in terms of hypotheses, theories, and laws. The difference between each is the level of acceptance in the scientific community. What they all have in common is that they must be falsifiable. This means that it must be possible to run an experiment that would prove the theory or hypothesis or law wrong if it were not true. The basis of experiment is what gives science its credibility. That means a scientist in California or Australia doesn't have to take your word for it. They can do their own experiment and they can attempt to disprove it themselves. And evolution fails both of these tests. I mean, there is no experiment that that can test the theory. And any new evidence that comes to light can't disprove the theory. I mean, no human being observed creation in the beginning. There wasn't a human being then in the beginning according to evolution. Evolution is not testable in its original state. And it's not repeatable. One can only attempt to observe the, the results of the previous event that nobody was there to observe. MacArthur said the, the origin of life can neither be observed nor reproduced in any laboratory. And so by science's uh, own definition then, it can give us no knowledge whatsoever about where we came from or how we got here because evolution is based on a belief, not a scientific fact. You say, wait a minute, what's a belief that can't be observed or proven doing in science? based on somebody's word, you say, oh, that's faith. You see, we have the same set of facts as an evolutionist. We have the same earth, we have the same fossil record. We just approach it, approach it from two different beliefs. We approach it from the biblical record, that, which says that God created, and He reveals to His creation what He did and how, and we have a record of that. So we then interpret the fossil record and everything through the record that God has given us. And what they do is they come with the belief that there is nothing supernatural. That's where they start. And so there is no way that creation or the Bible could be true. And so there must be some other way. And so that leads them down a completely different path. They remove the supernatural possibility before they even start. It's like the people who interpret the Bible and they read a passage and they say, Well, it can't mean that even though that's what it seems to say, because that can't be true, therefore it must mean something else. And so they are looking for something else to explain it. We weren't there. Christians weren't there in the beginning, neither were evolutionists. But God who created was. And He has revealed what took place in His Word. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather believe God than man any day. Number two, it's... It's not just unscientific, it's it's unreasonable. Evolution is less scientific and requires more faith because it's unreasonable. It's irrational because it requires chance, random chance to act like God. For it to work, for evolution to even happen coincidence must take on uh, uh, the, the, the aspects of a guiding force or a cause. I mean, evolution has no answer for original matter. Well, well, where did we come from? Where we came from, you know, you go all the way back to hydrogen gases or whatever. Where did that come from? They, they have no answer for, for original matter. But they also have no logical answer for how that original matter moves and evolves along. What what propels it along? What what causes it to to change? Well, they would say chance does that. Random events. And so the evolutionist says, given enough time and enough random events, anything can happen. And all of the intricate systems and complex organisms are the results of, of an accident. Accidents of nature or random chance. And that's required in order for evolution to be true. Chance has to move matter along from one stage to the next. And when you hear that, you should be thinking, I thought this was science, not poker. I mean, where does chance come into... I mean, for evolution to work, it's based on the luck of the draw. Did you hear what Gould said? I mean, if it happened any other way than this intricate way, then, then we wouldn't even arrive at consciousness. I mean, there would be nothing. As one writer put it, that's utterly irrational because chance can't be the cause of anything, much less everything. I mean, chance is not a force. It, it doesn't cause anything. I mean, do you understand what the concept? I mean, for evolution to be true, chance must be a force that causes Change. It must take on the aspects of a creator. It must take on the aspects of a force, which is not only impossible, it's irrational because luck or chance doesn't even exist. It's a mathematical probability. I mean, chance is a way to describe mathematics or, or, or the, the probability of something happen. I mean, if you flip a coin that has two sides a hundred times, the mathematical probability or the chance is that you have a 50-50 chance that it's going to land on heads or or, or tails. But chance doesn't flip the coin. It doesn't put it in motion. It's only a way to describe what does happen. But for evolution to happen, chance must cause it to happen. It must be something that propels it along. It must be a, the force that moves ooze to slime. They're, because there's no guiding force like God to move it. Only random happenings. And that's not reasonable. It's not reasonable because something can't come from nothing and chance can't, can't, can't be a cause. It's also not reasonable because it requires design order to come from disorder. I mean, something can't come from nothing and chance can't cause anything and order does not come out of disorder. But that's what evolution teaches. In the beginning chaos and random matter with no design and no designer in complete disorder and given enough time and random accidents, order will come. I mean, a child can figure out that that's foolish. I mean, mothers, tell your children the next time to take their laundry, take their laundry in their rooms and throw it up in the air, and wherever it lands, give it enough time, order will come, right? I mean, chance will fold it and move it along until it will end up in the right drawer. And you're listening to that, and some of you moms are saying, Pray for me. I have an evolutionist living in my house, their bedrooms are a transitional form. I mean, that's scientific, that's science. That's more intellectual than a creator, God, who designed, ordaining and fulfilling what he ordains just because you can't explain who he is or how he got there. and You, you, can't, you can't wrap your little pea brain around something that's miraculous or supernatural. That makes more sense than, than God? And that's what evolution teaches. And common sense tells you structure doesn't come out of chaos without something to structure it. I mean, the human body with its skeletal, nervous, and circulatory systems, chance. The pupil of the eye, chance. The earth, uh, 238,855 miles from the moon to create small tides to clean the ocean, and only a slight difference would cause them to wash over the continents two times a day. That's chance. The earth tilted on its axis at 23.5 degrees, which creates seasons. One hemisphere uh, tilted toward the sun to experience summer. The other hemisphere tilted away to experience winter. Spring and fall occur when the hemisphere is between the two extremes. Chance. The earth is the only planet that we know of where the normal temperature range allows water to exist on its surface as a liquid, which is necessary for life as we know it. The atmosphere consisting of 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, and traces of other gases making it breathable, to say nothing about the lungs that bring that in and absorb it into a, the bloodstream. Chance? That's utter foolishness. And evolution is not scientific. It's not reasonable. And finally, it's, it's inconsistent. The third reason I think it, makes, it takes more faith to believe evolution is because of its inconsistency. One of the most difficult and uncomfortable problems with evolutionary theory is what to do with morality, what to do with right and wrong. I mean, if an evolutionist agrees that moral right and wrong exist, then they can't explain where it came from. And they're back to faith. Because if you have a moral right and a wrong, then... Or absolutes, then, then you must have law, and, and law requires a lawgiver and a judge, which is the very thing that they're trying to escape by their theory to begin with. A lawgiver and a judge that they're going to stand before one day. But if they hold to the true basis of evolution, then morality doesn't exist. And that's also problematic because it makes evolution very culturally Unacceptable. Try um, preaching survival of the fittest on CNN on Sunday night and see how that, that works. I mean, for evolution to work, the strongest gene must prevail. The strong must kill the weak. Man is no different than any other animal, so there's no right or wrong way to go about doing that. I mean, to evolve upward, the superior one must prevail over the inferior one. And there's, not, there's nothing wrong about somebody superior taking out somebody inferior. In, in, in fact, that's, that's what must happen in order for the species to, to move along. You see why that's uncomfortable? There is no right or wrong. Right is whatever evolves the species. And so there's no purpose, there's no justice, there's no life after death. Just matter returning to matter. Murder is not wrong. Rape is not wrong. It's all part of the process. Sterilization of mentally handicapped is not wrong. It helps the species. Killing deformed babies before they're born, that's good. That helps. You see how it transforms and is the basis for governments. Nazi Germany was based on evolutionary theory. Margaret Sanger, uh, the founder of Planned Parenthood, began Planned Parenthood based on eugenics that certain races were less desirable so they needed to be limited. That's also why you see such a lack of restraint and immorality in our culture because children have been fed this stuff. No purpose, no absolutes, life's not precious, it's not sacred. And so you have abortion and euthanasia and... All kinds of other things. All because, for the most part, of evolutionary theory. And it's a hopeless theory, too. Some of you may not have heard of Carl Sagan, but some of you will remember him. December 1996, shortly before he died, he went on Nightline with Ted Koppel. Some of you have no idea who Ted Koppel his <laughs> is either. When asked... Um, did he have any pearls of wisdom he would like to give the human race knowing he was going to die here was his answer We live on a hunk of rock and metal that's a circle that had a humdrum start it's about 400 billion it's one of about 400 billion other stars that make up the Milky Way galaxy which is one of billions of galaxy galaxies which make up the universe which may be one of a very large number, perhaps an infinite number of other universes. Our planet is a lonely speck in a great enveloping cosmic darkness. In our obscurity, in all of its vastness, there is no hint that will help. Uh, that there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. He should get a job as a motivational speaker, right? Church, that's the conclusion of a man who rules out God in his mind. No wonder the culture is without hope. But can I tell you something tonight? Something you already know. There is a God, and His name is Jesus Christ. And He created us Himself as a special creation. And we have a purpose that He planned. And there is law, there is justice. Anything that has ever happened to you that, that has never been paid for in some way, God promises someone will pay. He has all the power, he holds everything in the palm of his mighty hand and the world is not evolving upward, it's spiraling downward in a curse. And this God has the answer for that problem too. It's called the resurrection of the dead. (laughs) And he'll bring this world to its end and he'll create a new one, an eternal one, a sinless one, a hopeful one, a glorious one. But until then, we live in this fallen world. We're to proclaim this good God that will save anyone who will come to him and we're to be nourished on the words of faith and look to the scriptures to interpret life. How's your life going right now? Maybe it's not even yours. Maybe it's somebody that you know and you say it's a mess. Is it possible that it's going that way because they they haven't followed their creator or you haven't followed the creator? Sure. But whatever their life is like or your life is like tonight, it's not too bad for God to fix because unlike evolution, he can bring something good out of chaos. He can bring order out of disorder. I am walking proof and so are you. If you'll submit to him and if you'll listen to his word. Let's pray. Father, what a what a dark lie that so many people have bought into. We are so tempted by our culture to, to be um, syncretistic, that everything is equal. Um, evolution is a view that's, that, that's fine for some to hold, and creation is a view f- that's fine for others to hold. But that's not true, Lord. Either you are God or you're not, and either your word is true or it's not. It is. And So anything, as Paul tells us, that's contrary to Scripture is the doctrine of demons. And yet that pressure is all around us, Lord. It's unfolding all around us. And, and in one sense, we want to be protected from it, be guarded. We want our children to be guarded from it, that they, they wouldn't be wouldn't be conformed to this world, but you tell us the way that that can happen is by being transformed through the renewing of our mind. So help us, Father, to be nourished on the Word. And help us to do that in our families as well or with our families. And then, Father, help us to proclaim the gospel to a lost and dying world that order might come out of chaos, that salvation, life might come out of death, And teach us over this summer series. Um, Help us to see how we're your image bearer. And how in bearing that image we have a purpose. And how that works out from scripture as our authority. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.